All right, amen. Well, guys, hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them up. Um, we're just kind of going to jump in. If you'll open them up to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Uh, book of Colossians, chapter 3. And we began the new year kind of with this new series uh, called Putting on the New You. And, and uh, we're taking it from Ephesians, chapter 4, and Colossians, chapter 3. Those are both passages where the Apostle Paul says, Hey, listen, because of what Jesus has done for you, right? He kind of reminds us in Ephesians 2, like uh, we were dead in our sins and transgressions in which we used to live when we followed the ways of the world. We were separated. We were far away. Uh, and we were excluded from, from citizenship and the promises of the kingdom. And, and he says, but now in Christ, you've been made alive. You've been brought near. You've been raised up. Um, you're, you're now citizens of the kingdom and, and heirs of, of, of the kingdom of God. All the promises of Israel are yours. And so, um, so he, he says then, therefore, right? Therefore, this is what you've got to do. You've got you've to throw off all the old nature, all the old self. You've got to be renewed in your na- mind. And you've got to put on this new self, which Jesus his purchase for you. And, uh, and so that, that seems easy. Uh, it's fun to talk about. And then you get into the nitty gritty and you say, man, this is hard work. This is something that demands kind of my life. And, and so we get into Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4 was really all the stuff we got to put off. And I want to encourage you, uh, you need to go back over that stuff. We still got to put that stuff off, okay? So we've kind of moved on to offense. We're talking about things we got to put on. Uh, but, but guys, I love you in Jesus. You can never stop playing defense. Amen? All right? So we've got to talk about offense, we've got to talk about things that we need to put on, but we can never stop remembering there are things we need to throw off, there are things we need to guard our hearts and our minds about, and so, uh, so that's where we are. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. Before we jump in, I'm going to pray for us, if you don't mind. Father, thank you for your word. We believe that it is right, that it is true, that it is good. Um, Father, we believe that your word is alive and active, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It has the ability to penetrate the deepest, hardest parts of our heart. God, we know that uh, your word, and we confess this morning, that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that we might be equipped for every good work that you have for us. And God, we also know that it is the Holy Spirit's job to bring that word to life in us. And so, Holy Spirit, we want to pause and invite you to come and take your place. Uh, You're the teacher of this church. We pray that you would teach us the ways of Jesus from the inside out, that as the disciples on on, uh, the road to Emmaus, uh, as as it occurred with them, that their hearts burned with this new understanding of, of who Jesus was through the Scriptures. And we pray that that would happen with us this morning as well. God, bring us to life. Let us see Jesus. Jesus, let us see you and want you more than anything else this world has to offer. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, I am in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read verse 1 through 15. Then we'll focus in on our verse today, which is verse 12. And the word of God says this. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. 
But now put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language. Uh, from. Don't let any filthy language come from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore... As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful." So here's our verse. This is where we're going to focus. We, we started here last week. We're just working through verse 12. We'll get to the rest, I promise. Uh, but this is what it says. It says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion. And you can add that put on before all these words. Put on compassion. We talked about that last week. And the next word is put on kindness. Put on kindness. So my question is, what does that mean? What does that mean, kindness? Because when we think of kindness, there are things that immediately pop up into our minds. So we, we think, uh, we talked about this in staff meeting. I think Tiffany has children's church. Uh, but, but Tiffany Sharp is one of the kindest people that I know. When, when you call Tiffany, when you see Tiffany, she's smiling. She never wants to hurt your feelings. Uh, uh, Tiff is just this very kind person. And, and some people would think, well, that's what it's talking about. I have to put that on. What I'm going to tell you is that's kind of a, a natural quality of kindness. And that's not what the scripture is telling us to do. It's talking about something that is supernatural, something that is spiritual. And so, so here's kind of how this word is translated throughout the Greek text of the New Testament. Sometimes it means good. Sometimes it means kind. Sometimes it means gentle. But really the undercurrent of this word that we probably need to be reminded of is kind of a weird word, uh, but I want you to write down the word mellow. You're like, what? Mellow? Are we having some pizza later? Mellow mushroom is pretty good. All right? Mellow. See, this word doesn't necessarily describe acts of goodness, but rather it describes a disposition or a quality that sets others around us at ease. That sets others around us at ease. It's a disposition of spirit that sets others around us at ease. And with that kind of in mind, now that you're thinking about what this word might mean, there are three things I want to share with you from our text. And here's the first. I want you to understand, first and foremost, that according to the Bible, that we're saved by this kind of kindness, right? We're saved by the kindness of God. We're saved by the kindness of God. And that may seem strange to you. Some of you think I'm trying to mess with your uh, biblical understanding and, and like Bible dictionary. Wait a second, pastor. Go away. I, I know a little bit and I know that I'm saved by the grace of God. That's Ephesians 2.8. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's, it's not of yourselves, right? It's not by works. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. You're going, I am saved by grace. I'm not trying to mess with kind of biblical definitions. What I, what I want to do instead is say, yes, we are saved by the grace of God, but that grace comes to us effectually through the person of Jesus Christ. 
right? Through the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear what Paul says about this person of Jesus Christ when he's writing a letter to uh, one of his younger pastors that he views as a son. He writes to Titus, and, and this is what he says to Titus. In Titus 3, 4, 4 and 5, he says, But when the kindness of God, our Savior... Ready? When the kindness of God, that's, that's who the kindness of God is, our Savior, uh, and His love for mankind appeared. Okay? So listen, uh, it's attributing some things to Jesus. I'll break it down in a second. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness, there's the grace, not that we had done, but according to His mercy or His grace, um, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And, and so again, it's when the kindness of God and His love for mankind appeared, uh, the kindness of God and the love for mankind have a name. His name is Jesus. He is Savior. He saved us, and he didn't do it based on our works, right? But he did it according to his mercy or his grace. And so what Paul is saying, guys, is this, that Jesus is the grace of God unto us, okay? Jesus is the grace of God unto us, right? Listen, Jesus is the love of God unto us, right? I mean, think about John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he what? He gave Jesus. And so Jesus is the grace of God unto us. He is the love of God unto us. And according to this passage, he is also the kindness of God. Unto us. It's who Jesus is. Right? And so Jesus shows up. He comes on the scene to a group of people and they're, they're seeking God. Right? To a group of people. Now, let's go, we gotta go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. What have folks been doing since Genesis chapter 3? Right? Okay? So when I say they're seeking God, don't take that out of context. Uh, he, he, he comes to a group of people that aren't seeking God, but they're, they're longing for God. That's a better word. So he comes to a group of people that are longing for God, but they're not seeking God. They're actually hiding from God. See, Genesis chapter 3, since the fall, uh, what did, what did Adam and Eve do immediately? They went and they hid. And, and so, so listen, he comes to a group of people that are spending their life in the shadows. So much so that the religious folks call all of them, label all of them, point to all of them, and rightfully so say, look at those sinners over there. Right? Look at those tax collectors, look at those prostitutes, look at those people. And, and this is how people felt about themselves too. They knew their sin, they're hiding in the shadows, and Jesus shows up to those kind of people. Right? They, these people that know they are at odds with God, that are hiding from God. And Jesus comes on the scene, he says, hey, I'm God, and you don't have to hide anymore. Come here. Come to me. And there's something in this disposition of Jesus that attracts people to him, that takes all of their fears, all, all of their worries, and it just immediately disarms them. And the shields go down and they go, hey, can I follow you? Can I just come and sit at your feet? Can I eat at your table? Right? And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about this kindness of God. And so Jesus comes and, and, and he says, stop running from God. Stop hiding from God. I'm here. I've come to set you free. And so Jesus says, come to me, right? He says, come to me. Now listen, uh, we talked about the compassion of God last weekend. It is easy just to focus on the compassion of God because the compassion of God is kind of the stuff we tie with miracles, right? This is the stuff that's like, yes, right? And so Jesus is there and he has compassion on the crowd and, and he heals everyone that's sick and he feeds everyone that's hungry and you go, yes, right? Uh, Jesus sees somebody that is cut off from society and, and they, he sees somebody that's far away from God. He has compassion and he heals them and he touches them. It's personal for him. 
and he restores them, right? Jesus sees somebody that is hurting and he hurts with them. And, and so the compassion of God is easy to focus on. But I think every bit as much important is just the everyday presence and disposition of Jesus. That this quality about Jesus where sinners that have been hiding and the shadows just want to come and sit at his feet and soak up his teaching, bask in his presence. So the question is, what was it about Jesus that made people want to come into the shadows and just be with him? What was it about Jesus, God, in the flesh that, that, that broke all of that fear that held people, uh, all of that desire to hide. What was it about Jesus that made people want to come and sit in his presence? And I, I would suggest to you this morning that the thing about Jesus that made people want to do that is the very thing that we're talking about today. It's this thing called kindness. Because Jesus was the kindness of God. Uh, it, it, we're going to turn to a bunch of places. Um, I did not mark all these places in my Bible because uh, sometimes when I sit in your seat and the pastor has 22 places marked and then he turns to him like, Poop, and then you're still working on it. So I'm going to work on it with you, okay? I'm going to work on it with you. So the first place we're going to turn together, you're going to see me flip into uh, Matthew chapter 11. Um, Matthew chapter 11. And I, I just, so what I'm going to suggest to you this morning is that this thing that made people want to come and sit at the feet of Jesus uh, was his kindness. And I kind of want to show it to you based off this text. And so this very familiar text, Matthew 11, uh, starting in verse 28, I'm going to read through 30. And uh, this, is, this is the invitation of Jesus. Right, Jesus shows up into the world, and this is what Jesus is saying uh, in, in, in Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary. And, and burdened, right? Come to me, all of you outcasts, all of you that are hiding in the shadows, all of you that are aware of your sin. He says, come to me, and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I'm lowly and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, now Jesus is doing two things. One, one, he's pointing to the fact that the yoke of the religious people that they have placed upon sinners is not easy and is not light. Right? It is harsh. The people feel like there's no way they're ever going to be good enough for God. That there's no way they ever add up. Maybe you're here this morning, you kind of got some of that going on naturally. You just feel like, I'm never good enough for God. And Jesus shows up to people, that's you, I'm, I'm in the boat with you. And so Jesus shows up to people like us and he says, hey, come here. Right? And, and this is huge. If you're one of those people that feels natural distance between yourself and God, this is huge. God in the flesh shows up and he says, hey, come closer. Come to me. And what is it? Why, why then do we go, oh yeah, that's what I want. Why, why would we step into that? Because we know our sin. And, and what is it about Jesus that draws people like us in? And the answer is found in that last verse I read to you. I'll put it up on the screen. He says, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Now, get this. This is crazy. See that word easy? Guess what? That's our word. That's Christotis in Greek. That is the same word that we just read in Colossians. That is kindness. That's kindness. He says, man, come to me. Because I am gonna, I'm, I'm gonna set you at ease. Cause it's gonna be okay. Cause I'm here now. I know what you've heard about God. I know how you feel about yourself. I know how you feel about God. But I'm telling you, I'm God. And, and I want you just for a moment. All right, all those things that you've felt, all those things that you might have even wrongly believed or interpreted. Listen, I'm God in the flesh. And here's what I'm saying to you. Come to me. Cause I've got it. 
I've got it. I've got all your fears. Man, I've got all your failures. I have all your insecurity. Listen, you can come to me as you are. And, and something within us like just clicks. And we go, yeah, man. That's what I need. I don't need a bar that's unattainable. Right? I don't need another thing on my list that I'm already stressed out about. Here is God in the flesh. And he says, would you just come and sit here? And for us weary folk, dude, I'm ready to sit down. Amen? Anybody need a long sit right now? Anybody else? Just some time. So this is where we start, right? We start, this is the first thing. That's what... That's what saved us. That's what saved us. It was Jesus. It was the kindness of God. This, 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 not, not, not just an act, but just this disposition of spirit that said, come to me. Okay. Second thing I want you to know is, guys, uh, not only um, is it the kindness of God that saved us, but it's the kindness of God that we're called to share. Right? It's the kindness of God that we're called to share. And so we talked about this with compassion. I'm just going to give you, I'm going to give you the keys to the sermon series. Ready? Um, all the things that we experience in Christ we're meant to share with others, okay? That's it. This is kind of the heart of it, right? So, so last week we talked about compassion. And, and what was it? So Jesus has compassion on the crowds, and the disciples are there, and they're seeing how Jesus loves people, and how Jesus heals people, and how Jesus hurts with people, and then he looks at his people, his followers, and he goes, hey, hey, now you go do what I've done. That's the key. You're my follower. Follow what I do. Now you go and do what I've done. And it's the same way with all these things. And so if we've experienced the compassion of Christ, we have to go be compassionate. If we've experienced the kindness of Christ, we have to go be kind to others, right? And you kind of walk through the whole list, and that's how it's going to work. And so the uh, same thing applies here, is, is we, we've experienced the, the kindness of Christ. He's called us to draw near, and we have to somehow... Go be that to other people. Uh, Paul would call it in other places, be ministers of reconciliation. So here's my question. How do I do that? Right? How does it happen? We'll get to that in a second. But I want to start here. I want to start with a picture. So I want to show you a picture of this and because uh, it leads to the only way that this can happen. So uh, we're going to do an Old Testament picture together. So if you have, again, if you're surfing with me, you guys turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm actually going to go to the book of Psalms, but you're, you're going to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And what you're going to find there is, uh, is a story about David. And so I'm turning to Psalm 31. You don't turn there because I'm just going to read to you. But I, I want to give you some backstory. And so, guys, you know a little bit about the story of David. Hopefully, if you're not, if you weren't raised in church, let me just fill you in. And so God uh, takes his people that are enslaved in Egypt. He says, I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt. He sends Moses, the great deliverer. Uh, and God does amazing miracles. All, ultimately, the pinnacle of that is Passover, which is going to point us to the Lamb of God uh, that we sing about this morning, who's going to take away the sins of the world. Uh, and, and, and so all that's going to happen in Jesus. Now, when they get out of Egypt, God leads them into the desert. Uh, there at, at, at the mountain, God meets with Moses and says, hey, if I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people, there's some things that have to happen. You've got to have a new law. I've got to have a place to live. Uh, you've got to treat one another differently. And so God kind of uh, spends some time camping out with them, getting these things right. Then he's going to press on into the promised land and he wants them to overtake the promised land. Now they get into the promised land. God begins to deliver them uh, through great miracles, right? I mean, their first major battle is is like this. They come upon this huge fortified city, uh, and they're like, we can't win. And God's like, you're right, but I can. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around this city for seven days, and then you're going to blow some horns. And they're like, what? 
He's like, just do it. And so they're going to do it. And all the walls fall down. They take Jericho, uh, right? No problem. And, 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 and so you would think after that, they get it, right? But get this. After that, not only do they got not get it, not only do they disobey God, but eventually they say, you know, God, um, you're kind of cool and all that, but we want to be like the other nations that are surrounding us, right? We kind of want to be like them. I love you in Jesus' name. Some of us are those same people, so don't shake your head at them, all right? Because we look around at our, our surrounding nations and we see the stuff that other people have and the way they live their lives and we think, well, I, I want a house like that. Right? I want a car like that. I need a job like that. We, we don't see all the disarray in their home. We don't see how their kids have no affection for the Lord. We don't see any of that stuff. We just, we want what other people have. And so that's what's going on with Israel. So they say, hey, God, we, we, we want what other people have. They come to, uh, come to Moses like, hey, we, we're going to, um, they were like, hey, we, we want, and not Moses, because Moses is dead. So they come to the, the man of God, and they're like, hey, we want what other people have. So God is going to give them exactly what they ask for. God's going to give them a king, right? Um, we're prophet Samuel, yeah. So God's going to give them a king, and he's going to give them a king just like everybody else. Uh, and, and so this guy's going to look the part of a king. If you were going to look up king in the dictionary, uh, that's where Saul would be. He's a head taller than everybody else. He's tall, dark, handsome, a stately, speaks right, all those kind of things. And, and so they're like, here's what you asked for. You want to be like everybody else. Your king is just like everybody else, including the fact he doesn't have a heart that beats for me. And so at one point, Saul's going to step out of the will of God. God's going to say, hey, I'm going to take care of this. I'm looking for somebody with a heart after me. He's going to tell his prophet, Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. And you're going to look uh, through the sons of Jesse. And you're going to find uh, a new king. And so he comes to the house of Jesse. He sees the first son of Jesse. He's like, yeah, that's a king. And God's like, you're looking at the outside. I want you to look at the inside. Goes through all of Jesse's sons. Eventually, he's like, dude, do you have anybody else? Because God told me to come here. And these guys aren't the ones. God says they're not the ones. He says, well, I've just got my little shepherd boy out in the field, David, well, can you call him? And so David comes, and how old is David? Maybe 13, maybe 14, possibly 15. He comes in, and just just that, and, and God's like, yeah, that's the one. And so Samuel anoints him king way before he can be king. Now, now uh, Saul takes the army of the Israelites, and they go to battle against the Philistines, and they draw lines, right? And we remember the story how there's this great barbarian kind of warrior, this giant named Goliath that is making fun of the Israelites and the people of God. So instead of having a flat-out war, uh, they decide, listen, your strongest person will go against our strongest person. Whoever wins will belong to the other party. Right, And so this is the funny part. So here comes the shepherd boy, David. I hope he's a little older than he was when we met him. Probably not much. And he comes and he hears what Goliath is saying. And he's like, I'll fight him. And he goes to the king, King Saul, king, big king. God, you know, looks, looks like, you know, the, the, the guy he's supposed to look like. He's like, nobody will fight him. I'll fight him. And the king says, sure. How scared are you that you're going to let a boy go do this? Like, you're about to be indentured servants to the Philistines. You think this is a good idea? And so Saul takes his armor off of David, uh, armor off, and he puts it on David, and David can probably barely walk and move with it. And he's like, I can't fight in your armor. Huge lesson there, guys. you got to fight in your own armor. Uh, and so he grabs his uh, slingshot, and he grabs five smooth, smokes, and five smooth stones, and he runs into the battlefield, and, and just, I, I, I think he shouts, Hoo-yah! I mean, I don't know. I, there's got there's some kind of shepherd boy wild west thing going on. Uh, yeehaw, yippee ki yay! Here it comes, God, um, and he begins to shout at at at, the, at at this giant like, "Hey, dude, you're you're gonna die!" And the giant's probably thinking, "This little flea coming at me," and and sure enough, first stone, boom, falls down dead. So David becomes a war hero. By the way, this is all backstory. I'm just trying to get you to where we're going. Okay, you got to know the backstory. All right. So, 
David becomes a war hero. Uh, of, of course, he celebrated huge uh, victory, uh, parade, all those kind of things. Uh, the king, of course, is like, dude, you're awesome. He gets to know the king's son named Jonathan. They become best friends. But something happens in the heart of Saul. As he sees David be best friends with his son, he becomes obsessed with the fact that David is more of a hero amongst the Israelites than the king ever was. And he begins to get jealous, and eventually he tries to kill David. Now, he doesn't just try to kill David on one occasion, but rather he actually sends out troops after David. David spends the majority of his young adult life on the run, hiding out in caves. Now, he's anointed to be the king of Israel, but he refuses to take that kingship from Saul. That's kind of God's plan, that he would not take it or seize it from Saul. And so he spends his early life on the run as an enemy of the king. Doesn't sound very fair, does it? And so here's what he writes in one of his psalms. You can, you can believe this is it, it, whatever phase of his life you want to believe it. You want to think this is after Bathsheba. That's fine by me. I think it's, it's this season. So here it is, uh, Psalm 31. Again, I'm just giving you back pictures here. Psalm 31, starting in verse 9 through 13. He says, Be gracious to me, Lord, because I'm in distress. My eyes are worn out from frustration and the fact that I've been living in a dark cave. I'm just, just helping you. My whole being is worn out as well. Indeed, my life is consumed with grief and my years with groaning. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am ridiculed by all my adversaries and even by my neighbors. I am dreaded by my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street run from me. I am forgotten, gone from memory, like a dead person, like broken pottery. I have heard the gossip of many. Terror is on every side. When they conspired against me, they plotted to take my life. And I'll skip to verse 21. But in the midst of all that, he, he says this. He says, yet blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his faithful love to me in a city under siege. His faithful love to me, that that, that little phrase there literally means he has shown his kindness to me. David, in the worst season of his life, when everything is spinning around and out of control, he experienced the kindness of God who drew him near. Now, he says, now I'm in 2 Samuel. See, I'm just setting it up, okay? Now, he says, 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. It says, David asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba, and they summoned him to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Now Ziba said to the king, there's still Jonathan, who, uh, Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. The king asked him, where is he? Ziba answered the king, you'll find him in Lodabar at the house of Machir, son of Amiel. So King David had him brought from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Now Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth. I'm your servant, Mephibosheth replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all of your grandfather Saul's fields, and you'll always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage, and he said, What is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's attendants, Ziba, and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul's family. You and your sons and the servants are to work the ground 
ground for him and you're going to bring the crops so that your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all that the Lord king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at King David's table, just like one of the king's son. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. Here's what I believe God's doing. I don't want you to miss it. I believe what David is saying, and not just in Psalm 31, but throughout the Psalms. David wrote several of the Psalms. I believe what David says throughout the Psalms is this, God, no matter what, no matter where I have been, no matter how I've been surrounded, no matter who has turned their back on me, God, you have always invited me in. You have always made my heart at ease. No matter what life has brought my way, you have always set my heart at ease. And now David says, God, Now that you have put me in this place, who can I do that for? Do you see it? Whose heart can I set at ease now, God? You you always did it for me. In the midst of my turmoil, in the midst of my care, you set my heart at ease. Is there anyone else's life who might be in turmoil that I might be able to set their life at ease as well? And so he says, bring me, eventually bring me Mephibosheth. By the way, uh, there's, there's something to that. Does Mephibosheth have anything to offer? Absolutely not. There's nothing he can do on his own or by himself. He can't, he can't be, he has no value to offer. He calls himself a, a dead dog, right? I mean, I mean, so he's, he's lame. Uh, that would be, he, he's considered unclean. Uh, I mean, if you just think through everything here, that's a picture of us, right? It's a picture of us. This is what God has done for us. There's nothing we could do. We don't deserve it. And what, what does he do? He takes us and he makes us, you notice, a child of the king. We get to eat at the king's table. It's huge. David's like, God, this is what you've done for me in my deepest, darkest moments. I always felt your presence. You always set my heart at ease. I want to do that for somebody else. So the kindness of God has saved us. The kindness of God must be shared. Here's the last point. It's kind of a big deal is uh, the only way we can do that, the only way we can extend or share the kindness of God with others is to daily walk in it ourselves, is to daily walk in it ourselves. So here's what I love about David. Um, David David never forgot, right? He never forgot what what God had done for him. And I mean, he's called a man after God's own heart. So he never forgot these moments. He never forgot being on the run. He never forgot how God um, consoled him and healed his heart in those moments. He never forgot that. Uh, And and so most, most of scripture, this is why he's called a man after God's own heart. But guess what? There were some times in his life he got away from that. Do you remember? Sometimes that he didn't draw near, right? He remembers those times when God was with him, when God was all he had. I mean, that, that's really what is the driving force of his life. But there are some times in his life when he got blessed, when he had it all, that he, he, didn't, he didn't continue to walk as intimately with God as he had in the caves, right? On, 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 the, on the outskirts. And do you remember what happened in those places? Well, I wrote down a few. Lust, lying, adultery, murder. Uh, a whole bunch of whatever is the opposite of kindness happened. Why? Why? Ready? 
Because kindness is a fruit of the Spirit of God. See, the moment that we stop walking closely, we stop having that kindness. We stop being able to display that kindness. It's spiritual, y'all. It's not something that you can just do of your own. It's not a natural disposition. It's a spiritual disposition that is only of God and by God. And we only get it when we remain, uh, so to speak, in the vine. And so if you're trying to follow along now, I'm in John 15. I love you guys. It's like Bible drill up in here this morning. Uh, And so John chapter 15, and here is what Jesus says uh, about himself and about us. And and so he's talking, John 15, and one, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, and every branch in me that doesn't produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that does produce fruit so that it'll produce more fruit. He says, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine... Get this, neither can you unless you remain in me. He's saying you cannot produce fruit on your own. Okay, what is kindness? It's a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says you cannot produce this on your own. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them and they throw them into the fire. They're burned. They're basically useless. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you want, it'll be done for you. And then this is huge, verse 8. My father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. God's goal for our life is we produce much fruit. But Jesus says you cannot produce any fruit unless you remain in me, abide in me. That's the language used in John 15. Now in Galatians chapter 5, that same thing is talked about, but it's talked about as keeping in step with the Spirit. Right? And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. And how do we get those things? By keeping in step with the Spirit, Paul would, would say. Same principle. Same principle. So, okay. This kindness thing, it's not acts. It's a disposition that sets others at ease. Okay? How do we get it? Okay? One, we're saved by that. Do uh, you know that it says in the Scriptures that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. When we as sinful people experience the kindness of God that says, come close to me, I'm, I'm God. I made you, you've been separated from me, but come close to me. And we, we that kindness that leads us to repentance, right? So, so we're saved by it, we're called to share it, we can only share it if we remain in Christ. So what do we do with that message? And I'll give you uh, four things very, very quickly. I'll watch my big clock with its seconds that tell me I'm running over. Four things, read. It's on the back of your sermon notes. All right, number one, Uh, a lot of what we do in our homework through this series is self-assessment. This is no different, so this is a self-assessment question. So first thing, I want you to look around your life. Look around your life, and here's what you're doing, okay? You're going to ask yourself this question. Do others feel at ease with me? Whoo. That's tough, isn't it? I was talking about this with the staff this week. This is my kind of personal prayer request as I'm working through this context. Is like, hey, I love being a dad. Uh, I, I, I love kind of leading my kids. and, and, and do, I, I'm not great at it, but, I, but I, I really enjoy it. But I had this question, are, do my kids feel at ease with me? Right? Because you're also the discipline and the, hey, you can't do this, you can't do that, you shouldn't. But if something goes wrong in life, 
do my children know that I'm always a safe place they can come and talk to, right? And I, I, I don't, I, I was like, I don't, I don't know. I got I got a Lord. And, and if, if I'm not, it's, it's, it's a reflection of my, my following Jesus, scripture would say, right? And so, uh, so here we are. So, so do others feel at ease with me? Uh, do they know that I will be kind? Do they know that I will be kind? My family's laughing at me on the front row. Okay, laughing. That's probably a reflection. Okay, two, two. Um, so first is the self-assessment. If that doesn't work out well and your family laughs at you. Uh, step, step, step two, all right? You got to set your sights on Jesus. We have to set our sights on Jesus. I'll give you just one second to write that down. So set your sights on Jesus. So Hebrew, Hebrews 12, 2 says this. It says, therefore, um, since we have also such a large cloud, large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Ready? Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith. And so, so what we have to do, because the only way we can abide in Christ is to keep him in our, in our view, is, is we've got to set our sights on Jesus. And so uh, Connor just had a birthday. We went out uh, and had a blast yesterday. We went to uh, Dave and Buster's faith. Uh, we went to Dave and Buster's with her uh, like in December. If you're thinking, man, Dave and Buster's is expensive. Yes, it is. My mom is really generous in paying for those because we would go and be like, guys, you have 10 bucks each. And so she's like, here, I'll buy the whole place. I was like, whatever. Um, you guys have at it. So everybody has their cards and run around. Um, so we didn't play a, a ton of games. Hoping I didn't play a ton of games this, this time uh, around. But last time, uh, I got a kid's card. Okay? So I got the same amount my children got for Faith's birthday. It was like my card. Don't touch it. I'm a kid, okay? And uh, so last time, Dave and Buster's, one of the games they have is a Star Wars game. And, um, and, and you get in it, and I'm not a huge Star Wars junkie. I don't know all the things. My wife could tell you every movie, every storyline, how it all fits together. Uh, I just enjoy them a little bit. Uh, but in this game, uh, the whole point of this game is you get in, and it's like, like, a, like, a, like a starfighter kind of thing, not, not, and, 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 uh, and you're in an X-Wing or something. I don't know. And so you're moving the thing around, and the thing keeps shifting and moving. And so the point of the game really is there is a fixed screen in front of you and all the mechanics of the game are to make you not be able to focus on the, on the screen in front of you. So the thing keeps moving, shaking, and, you're, huh? and your goal with the stupid controller is to take the thing that's going in a hundred different directions and spinning you around and you're focusing it right there in the middle so that you can, you know, you can take care of business. So in life, man, the world... If it ain't already happening, it's going to hit you from the left. It's going to hit you from the right. There's going to be some highs. There's going to be some lows. It's going to spin you around backwards a couple times, dump you on your back, all those kind of things. And the goal in all of it, no matter what life throws our way, is that we would keep our focus on our target. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's it. We've got to fix our eyes on Christ. That's, that's the, that's, I, I know we get caught up in this stuff called life. Who's stressed about taxes right now? Anybody? Have you guys already all filed? You just aren't stressed. You're like, I'm not stressed. I hadn't filed. I don't care. What are they going to do? Come take my stuff? Yes, they will. Yes, they will. If you were not concerned, now you should be. Okay? Stuff happens in life, man. We get, we get caught up. Man, I gotta, I gotta get a new car payment. I gotta do, all stuff flies at us. And listen, in the midst of all of it, that's, that's called living. 
But the purpose of living, his name is Jesus. We've got to be there. So, so, that's, that's, so that's part one. Part, part two of this uh, kind of little plan is that we, then da- we daily then have to dwell in the kindness of God. And we call this abiding in Christ. Uh, and so uh, you can call it abiding in Christ or keeping in step with the Spirit. And so I did this in the early service. I'll just pick on him again. So coming up, Franklin, we've already done this once. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, the, the, our, our awesome audio video people have put your pastor in a box. I can go to here and I can go to here. So this is like a very close. I'd like to use the whole stage. We can't do that for our viewers at home. And so, uh, so here's what we're going to experience. So I have to keep in step with the spirit. So the Bible says like, I shouldn't grow weary of doing good. We shouldn't grow weary of following Jesus. But let's be honest. Sometimes it happens. So here's a question. Why does, does it happen? And what happens when I stop pursuing the Lord? Okay, because when David, the moment that he stopped pursuing the Lord, sin befell him. And you go, well, how is that possible? I mean, I can't have a day off? And, and, and here's my answer. No, you can't. And here's why. Uh, the answer, I, I don't, we got to get your head in here. So the answer is because uh, now that you're in Christ, you have a, we should have done this the opposite way, like I said in the first service, because you, you, you look a lot more like the new nature and I'm the old wrinkly nature. But, um, but in this instance, I am the new nature. And, uh, and this guy right here, he's everything broken, messed up, and perverted uh, with the world and my life and my heart. So um, this guy always wants to go astray. He's totally self-centered. Um, he wants to make it about him and, uh, and, and, and just focus on what he wants and his needs. He never wants to think about anybody else. Uh, he's consumed by the things of the flesh, uh, all, all that, uh, sexual immorality and slander and hate and anger and, and uh, the, all the list. So uh, that's Franklin. Everybody say hi. Hi, everyone. Old self. So, so here, yeah, yeah. Okay. So here's the problem. When we become a new creature, we have... A, I don't want it to be like a prison movie, but you've got to be close. Right, no. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So, um, so here we go. So uh, we've, got the, uh, we've got the new self and we have the old self. And we're walking. And, um, Dana is shaking her head going, did he say that? I did, and it's recorded. And, uh, and so, so you have the new self and the old self. And so what happens is we, we, I'm, I'm fixed on Jesus and I'm pursuing Christ. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue Christ and I take a step. And the old self is right behind me. Like the old self doesn't, doesn't stay where, where we think we left the old. So we think we get saved and we think, well, man, the old self is back there and I'm way over here and I'm killing it and, and I'm not killing it because the old self is always here. And so what happens though, this is the scary part. The old self is always trying to get control back. So the moment that I stop pursuing Christ, the old self, well, you're out of the shot now, man. There you go. So the old self, the old self immediately, the, the, the old self immediately takes front and center. And then all the things of Christ that I'm supposed to be and all the things of Christ that I'm supposed to do turn into all the things that I used to do. Thanks, man. Okay? So here's the deal. It's not enough to just set my eyes on Jesus. I have to constantly pursue Christ. So it says, what does it mean to abide in Christ? It means to never stop. It, it means every day to not just set my eyes, but to actually walk towards Jesus. To, to abide in Christ means that I'm going to surrender my thoughts to Jesus, my plans to Jesus, my, my very life to Jesus. It means that I'm going to confess my sin to Jesus on a regular basis. It may involve daily repentance, right? I mean, I mean, this is it. Abiding in Christ is those things. It's a constant pursuit. Because the moment I don't, 
That old nature is going to come back and try to take control. Okay? All right, everybody got it? Okay, last point. So we get to this point, we're doing pretty well. Here's what we do, ready? We share the kindness of God with others. Share the kindness of God. Can't do it unless I'm, I'm, I'm keeping in step with the Spirit. But if I'm keeping in step with the Spirit, I, then I'm now called to share the kindness of God with others. And here's what I love about the Bible, right? It is so brutally honest. David is a man after God's own heart. I mean, apart from the whole Bathsheba thing, he's supposed to be my example, right? And this man after God's own heart has no idea uh, who he's supposed to be kind to. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome for me. I'm like, yes, we are a bunch of Christian dummies. Uh, and, and so it's great. And so he has no idea. So he literally, he's like, uh, uh, is there anybody out there I can be kind to? Duh. I can't see any. Is there anybody out there I can be kind to? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, man, there's, there's a son of Jonathan laying in both feet. So here's, here's your challenge this week. Ready? As you're abiding in Christ, I just want you to be like David. And this is what you're vocally going to say to God. We call that prayer. God, is there anyone out there I can show your kindness to? Let me challenge you. You pray that prayer every day. The Lord is going to put some people in your path. Amen? It's going to put some people in your path. Now, here's the deal. If you're not following Christ, you're not going to have anything to share with them. You might share some of that old self with them. But if you'll pray that prayer every day as you pursue Jesus, God will put people in your path this week that are just, they need somebody to take their life situation. And they just need a little rest. And you can be that for them. And you can share. And here's what's going to happen. When you're that for them, they're going to, how are you so different? How? How how can you say that when life is, and you go, hey, that's life. Here's how I can say that, because I believe that Jesus is in control of all things. And he wants to be in control of you, too. Right? May the Lord be faithful this week as we seek him out in prayer and provide us with those opportunities. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word, which is good and true and right. Father, we pray you would give us the courage to step into it this week. You'd give us the courage to walk closely behind you, to pursue you with everything that we are, that we wouldn't stop or grow weary of doing good. God, help us walk in your spirit. And Lord, as we do, as we do, Father, would you show us people that we can share the kindness that you have given unto us. Show us people that we can be kind to, just like that. Lord Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.